Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. It's a delight to bring back an old friend. I uh, haven't talked to him in a long time. Last uh, last, uh, last uh, I had him on, things were fairly calm or calmer at the border. Next thing I know, he comes to Tucson, leaves, and we have a crisis at the border. I'm, of course, <laughs> teasing him a little bit. It's Mark Krikorian. He is the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. You want to know about immigration? That's the website to go to, CIS. Org. Mark, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Am I wrong to attribute the crisis at the border to your trip to Tucson? Yeah, well, actually, it was already underway, so I came to try to solve it. And, okay. uh, I, you, can, you can see how much good that did. So. <laughs> okay. Tell me what we're looking at at the border. Tell me what caused it. Tell me where we were, where we've gone, and what we need to do. Well, um, the... President Trump kind of had the border under control. I mean, there's a lot of things that Congress needed to change, and they Democrats in Congress refused to even consider changes, various loopholes that are incentivizing people to either hire smugglers to bring their kids or to bring kids with them themselves. Um, and so he kind of he arranged a, ver- a variety of stopgap measures that – you know, worked pretty well. I mean, not to go into all of them, but one of them that was really notable was uh, essentially a way to try to disincentivize people from making phony claims of asylum as a way of being let go into the U.S. as a sort of a, um, you know, a, a gambit to get past the Border Patrol. And what, uh, what, they, what they got Mexico to agree to was what is colloquially known as the Remain in Mexico program, uh-huh. where if you apply, if you were you know snuck across the border or walked up to a port of entry and said, uh, you know, you read the words that you had been coached to say about fearing return and, uh, you know, you want asylum, you got put on the list. You know, our law as it is says that you can apply even if you pass through Mexico where you should have applied. But Mexico agreed to take those people back and may have them wait on Mexico's side of the line until their hearing date came up. And what that meant was that the, you know, the whole attraction of using bogus asylum claims evaporated and the border really got under control. Uh, you know, and what happened when on January 20th was we had a new president and he took a he took a situation that was more or less stable and broke it. He flipped the table over, uh, and um, you know we have a people are taking him up on his claims that he wants to have a more humane system and all the rest of it. They're saying okay, uh, and they're being let in. Now, not everybody. Uh, they're, they've still kept some Trump era policies in place, despite all the hyperbole about them um, during the campaign, but. The fact is that most family units, they're called, in other words, an adult traveling with at least one child, uh, in February were released into the U.S. Uh, and unaccompanied minors, so-called, and that's a deceptive term. Because yeah, let me come back to that. Are, yeah, I want to. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. They're not really unaccompanied. Right. You know, the, their relatives in the U.S. pay smugglers to bring them to the border 
and then they step across the line on their own, uh-huh. and magically they become unaccompanied. Anyway, those they're always let into the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, under the new policy. So, what did you know? What did the Biden people think was going to happen? I mean, they're saying now is not the time to come. Don't come. I mean, why would you pay any attention to that? It's actions that matter, not words. And um, and yet at the same time. You know, I I don't want too much mythology to take hold here because I think it's on one hand a myth to say that the entire border problem was solved in the last four years. It wasn't. It was better, but it wasn't solved. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah, no, and, no and and you know, it's a little hard to accept that. Uh, it's a little bit hard to accept. I think you gave you gave voice to this that uh, people were just waiting on the other side watching the 2019 Democratic Party debates, although there is some documentary evidence that the cartels were very much invested in understanding what a Biden policy would look like and allow them to do Oh, it wasn't just the cartels. I mean, the, the point, obviously, that, you know, or I mean, heck, Americans aren't even paying too much attention to mm-hmm. our politics. How would you expect Central American, mm-hmm. you know, Guatemalan Highlanders to? But that having been said, um, we sent somebody down to southern Mexico last January, more than a year ago, a uh, former foreign correspondent, intelligence analyst, and he was talking up Central Americans in southern Mexico. Mm-hmm. And this was before, you know, anybody before Biden even knew he was going to be nominated. Mm-hmm. But obviously everybody knew there was a presidential election coming up. And what they said, they volunteered this. Nobody prompted them. He didn't even expect it. They said, yeah, we're here in Mexico. We're kind of treading water, biding our time until Trump loses. And we know that the Democrats will let us in. So they, you know, I mean, ordinary people, these were not activists or anything. Well, that, that is a very fair folks. point, because there yeah. wasn't a Democrat debate that I saw where they all weren't raising their hands to the most liberalized, amnestized, amnestized programs available. They all were doing that. And, if, and, and yeah. exactly. And, you know, again, ordinary people, frankly, here or even more in Central America, aren't paying attention to the specific details. But, you know, everybody gets the point. Trump is bad. They hate Trump. They're going to undo everything Trump did. And Trump is the one uh, trying to keep a lid on the border. So if he goes, the people against him are presumably going to let us in. And then, bingo, it, that actually turns out to happen. Uh, I mean, again... They are still turning some people back, but they're letting a lot of people in who would not have gotten in otherwise. And if you're somebody in Central America who figures, you know, uh, I got a decent shot, maybe I won't make it. But, you know, with this new guy in charge, they're letting people in. So I'm going to go give it a try. Uh, And, you know, what did you think? What did they think was going to happen? The numbers are quite astounding, too. I don't know if they surprised you. They surprised me. I see we now have 14,000 children in detention facilities here. Um, let's talk about what the humanitarian problem is. Is the humanitarian problem something that these immigrants, um, these illegal immigrants uh, are fleeing, or is the humanitarian problem what we're putting them through once they get here, or is it both? Well, I mean, obviously, Central America is, you know, has real problems. Uh, Frankly, you know, Honduras, makes Mexico look like Europe. I mean, let me put it this way. Yeah, yes, Honduras makes Mexico look really good. Let me put it that way. It's okay. way more developed okay. than um, Central America. So, yeah, these are poor places that are uh, disorderly. There's no question about that. 
But, you know, that describes much of the world, quite frankly. Yep. That's not, you know, it's, and it's not even really that anything particularly unique has happened right. um, that would change things. The, you know, the concerns, the humanitarian concerns, really, are that we are enticing people to make, to take these risks, to hire smugglers to, you know, uh, trans, transport their children to the border or are coming themselves. And um, the, there was a bipartisan report a couple of years ago by a CBP, uh, a, a panel appointed by CBP people, but it was, it had Obama people on it and everything. It really was bipartisan. They said they found that something like two-thirds of all the people who were smuggled up cent- from Central America to the border experienced some kind of uh, violence, oh, and yes. one-third of the women experienced some kind of sexual oh, violence. Oh, yes, I remember now, that they now. Right, right, they right. They weren't necessarily all raped, right. but, I mean, a lot of them were, and yep. there was others, you know, there's other stuff that can happen. That's bad news. Yes. Now, you know, some of that's going to happen. The world's a bad place. Uh, it's the way it is, to some degree. But we are encouraging it. We are enticing people to take these risks because there is a payoff. And if we do our best to control the border, to disincentivize this kind of activity. If people take foolish risks anyway, that's kind of on them. Yeah, but But we're not luring them to the bridge to jump, is your point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're enticing them. It's kind of partly on us. Mark, uh, talk to me about humanitarian. It's a word that uh, is thrown around a lot when it comes to border policy. Uh, You were writing on Twitter today about Congress taking up an act that would have severe consequences to Americans with regard to immigration. J.D. Vance had a piece in Newsweek uh, yesterday, I think it was, talking about do we um, do we ever stop and think about the effects of illegal immigration to Americans, especially in a down economy, especially when uh, when 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 you, you know when you see a, a drug problem <laughs> rising, all of that sort of thing going on. Talk to me about what the humanitarian thing would be and what your four, five, or ten-point plan for solving all of this would be. Take it however you want. Well, I mean, as far as the humanitarian part, uh, you know, obviously all men are brothers. We're created in the image of God, and no one is morally any better than anyone else, and no, you know, no people in any country are morally better than anyone else. But, you know, charity starts at home. I mean, we have a responsibility to take care of, first, our own, you know, immediate family, our own children and what have you. And then, you know, our concern is then for our wider community and then for our nation. Um, And then, you know, it doesn't mean we have no concern and uh, no um, sort of fellow feeling for people who are foreigners, but, you know, you have to you have to take care of your own first. I mean, it sounds like kind of homespun wisdom, but there's a reason for that. That's that's the, kind of the first element of um, of uh, you know of, of proper conduct, and we're not doing that. Um, the we you know we have our own poor, our own lost, our own forgotten people, and, and more now than you know, we have in a while as a result of yeah. you know certain policies that have uh, been imposed over the past year. A whole lot more. And quite frankly, you know, even if 
policies hadn't been imposed, everybody's fear of the virus would have caused huge economic dislocation anyway, just because right. people would have stopped going to restaurants and all the rest of it anyway. So my point is that, you know, our own people are hurting. Yeah. And what it's not even just that, you know, there's only so much money to go around or only so much concern to go around, but immigration actually uh, undermines the position of the very people who are most marginal in our society. Mm -hmm. People, you know, the job prospects of people who really, for whatever variety of reasons, can only or at least need entry-level kinds of work. Young people, teenagers, of course, but also ex-cons, recovering addicts, people with physical or even uh, developmental disabilities, Uh, single moms who need a job that's flexible. Uh, so they can be home when their kids get back from school. All those kinds of things, all those kinds of people, their bargaining power is undermined. Mm-hmm. Their mm-hmm. economic strength is undermined when there's this endless supply of perfectly okay people. I mean, you know, some uh, illegal immigrant landscaper, I mean, he's, you know, he may be a bad guy, but he's probably just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A little mm-hmm. bit of bad, a little bit of good, just mm-hmm. like all of us. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with him as a man. Mm-hmm. But we, as Americans, have to take care of our own people first. Um, And, you know, I mean, I've got my whole 20-minute speech on what we should do, but I can give you the short version. Before you do the short version, if you'll you'll allow me, can I I throw a question from a listener to you real quick? uh, Your show. It's actually on the way. It's my show. It's it's amazing how much that isn't true. Mark. Well, your name is on it anyway. Uh, what can I tell you? <laughs> CIS, your organization. Now you know what I'm talking about. Right. Yep, yep. Mark, if someone qualifies for asylum because there is gang violence or they can't get a job in their own country, I thought it was mostly for religious and political uh, 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 discrimination. But what, what, what yeah. constitutes asylum? Yeah, I mean, asylum comes out of post-World War II, a U.N. treaty. Um, that says uh, being a refugee, and asylum and refugee are basically this, you measure by the same yardstick. Asylum just means you're here when you ask for the protection. A refugee means you're someone overseas and we go and bring you here. But it's the same idea. And what it means is you've been persecuted or you fear persecution based on one of five or maybe more, maybe more than one of five categories. Race, religion, nationality, political opinion. That's four those are all pretty clear. You're the wrong political party, new government comes over, or you're, you know, you're Jewish, or you're Christian in a Muslim country, whatever it is, those are pretty obvious, those four. The fifth one is really the source of much of the problems we're facing at the border and elsewhere, and that is persecution based on, quote, membership in a particular social group. Oh, unquote. Oh, okay. And that basically means any darn thing an activist judge wants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you get people saying, well, there's gangs in my neighborhood and somebody tried to shake down my uncle's store. So I'm a member of a social group of people who don't want to be shaken down by gangs, Mm -hmm. something like this. Mm -hmm. It's complete baloney. It's the kind of thing you would, you know, we have come to expect from activist lawyers. And um, that is a huge part That's the Lewis. of it's our that fifth category. Uh, weakness yeah. in controlling the border. Exactly. Okay. And that's the same thing in Europe, frankly, too. It's a similar thing. 
Got it. That's the sluice. All right. Yeah. Give me. Uh. Give me. Give me. Give me the highlights of okay, what. I, I yeah. won't give you everything, but I mean half a dozen things. But as far as controlling, you know, immigration at the border, there's three big loopholes that the Trump administration repeatedly hit on, tried to get Congress to address, and they didn't do it. One is something called the Flores settlement. There was mm-hmm. a lawsuit. Um, where basically Democrats outside the government sued the Democrats inside the government during the Clinton administration, right. and they all and they kind of chuckled at each other and came up with a settlement that said um, unaccompanied minors, uh, almost always teenagers, but unaccompanied minors can't be kept in detention more than 21 days. Mm-hmm. So they they must be let go into the United States after 21 days. That was bad enough, but that was like 30 years ago. Um, more recently, uh, a judge interpreted the Flores settlement to mean even if the kids were with their family members, they couldn't be detained, mm-hmm. uh, which means you have to let the family members out, too. Otherwise, you're splitting the family up. And bingo, um, you basically have lost control of your borders. Mm-hmm. There's another one. There's a provision in something called the Trafficking Victims Protection. Anyway, with TVPRA, it doesn't really matter too much what the initials are. But what it says is unaccompanied minors from any non-contiguous country, in other words, not from Mexico or Canada, uh, cannot just be sent back to their home countries. They have to be put in uh, some kind of foster care or find a relative to give them to and then process you know, hear and have hearings and what have you, rather than just calling up the consulate of their country and saying, hey, you know, let's come up with some arrangement and send your kids right back. Um, that's two. That's two. And the third one, this relates to the asylum issue, is when you first sneak across the border, you're arrested by the Border Patrol, you say, I fear going home, you read the little card that some activist group told you, you know, what to say. Uh, you have what is called a credible fear interview. Can, can I hold you right there? Can you say one more, sure. just one more short segment? We'll finish up on that? Yeah, yeah, okay, to. great, great, yeah. great. Mark Krikorian, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, really thankful to Mark Krikorian of the Center for Immigration Studies for this extended um, extended uh, uh, interview with him. Mark, uh, you were giving us a few items uh, in large sure. font as to, as to how to solve our illegal immigration crisis. If you wouldn't mind reprising point three, which you were just getting into, it's so interesting. Right. And it is pretty important. I mean, I don't want to have all your get too wonky, have all your listeners push the tuner button and go listen to something else. But this is an important point and an important weakness. Okay. When you come and if somebody sneaks across the border, they say, I fear being returned to my home country. Um, they are given what is called a credible fear interview, mm-hmm. which, like it sounds, basically to see whether their fear is credible. In other words, is Mickey Mouse talking to them through their dental work, or is there some vaguely plausible basis for what they're saying? Mm -hmm. The bar is very low in statute, so there's a limit to what you can do to tighten that up. And what happens is if you pass that first screening interview, and most, you know, from like two-thirds to even up to 85% of people do, you then... Are, you are then permitted to go on to apply for asylum. Uh-huh. So it's like a screening thing. Uh-huh. Half the people who do that, who make, who make it past that first screening interview, never even bother to apply for asylum. They're just let go into the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other half do apply, mm-hmm. 
And they show up for some of their hearings. The president exaggerated how, you know, people just don't come for their hearings at all. Some of them do. But if they lose, and most people who um, apply for asylum don't get it, the large majority don't get it, they don't leave. And there's no, nobody, there's no mechanism for making them leave. So raising the bar for that initial screening interview is an essential thing, and unfortunately only Congress can do it because it's written in statute uh-huh. that it should be a low bar. I see. And so those three things I mentioned would go a long way to, uh, I mean, you know, again, they're not silver bullets that are going to fix everything overnight. I mean, there's a million different aspects to immigration. You know, job, work site enforcement, all kinds. I was going to ask but, you how we were doing on that. I know years ago you were uh, you were pushing e verify. How how good has that? How well has that taken hold? Well, I mean, e verify is still not mandatory. Okay. Uh, just for those of you who don't follow it, it's an online free system. So when somebody hires you, or whoever they hire, anybody they hire, as it is, everybody has to take their. Uh, Social Security and IRS information, you know, right. Social Security number, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's just part of getting a job. What the E-Verify system does is enables the employer to check whether that's real. Mm-hmm. The name, date of birth, and Social Security number, are they real? Do they match? Uh, and increasingly, photos come up with it. So if you show a driver's license from certain states or if you show a green card, the picture will pop up on the E-Verify site, you know, when the person does, the HR person does the uh, inputs the information. And, you know, again, it's not perfect, but is that the same picture as the card that, you know, they're <laughs> presenting? Yeah. So it's it's a pretty elementary system, and, and elementary in the sense that this is like the lowest hanging fruit you could imagine. Uh-huh. And a significant share, something like half the workforce or half of new hires are screened to re-verify, but it's still mandatory. So guess where the illegal aliens are? They're in the other half. Uh-huh. You know, no surprise. Uh-huh. Um, making that mandatory is key. Uh, Trump was kind of ambivalent about it. Mm. The Democrats are against it altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, i am got my fingers crossed for uh, President Ron DeSantis four years from now to make an issue of it. You, you and I, as usual, are on the same page. Um, Mark, uh, with that, with that hope and maybe prediction. Um, last question: the wall, uh, physical border barrier, whether it's a wall or something else, how important? It's important, but it's not. It's one piece of a broader approach. Okay. I mean, if I'd fault the president or President uh, Trump on it and anything, it would be that he made it too central. Mm-hmm. To his immigration message. Okay. And I kind of understand why as a selling point. I mean, it's easy to understand. It's sure. a concrete thing. Sure. No pun intended right. that people can, you know, imagine in yeah. their mind's eye. And you can go have pictures of it in the newspaper. Um, but uh, I think it well, there was too much focus on it to the detriment of other things. That Got having it. been said, it can be useful. Good. And it's now left half done by, uh, by Biden. No. Well, Mark, it's, you know, if anything, it's just proven that I, I've been negligent in, in waiting so long to have you back on. It's just been, you know, crisis to crisis, leapfrogging from lily pad to lily pad. But it's so good to be back in touch. And uh, something tells me we're going to be in a lot more touch uh, as the weeks and months go on. So thank you for your generous time and supple brain. No problem. You Thanks. Thanks for and having me. And for knowing what a radio back. tuner button is, yeah, well, how many people know that anymore?
I'm older than you are. Are so you? Okay. Uh, <laughs> God, God love you. Mark Krikorian, Center for Immigration Studies. Godspeed, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.